Welcome to Thinking Nation's series, Thinking Historically, where we connect students to scholars and their research as they explore historical topics and arguments in their classes. Today, we are thinking historically with Dr. Nadia Williams, Professor of Ancient History at University of West Georgia. Dr. Williams, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's exciting. So to start, I'm going to share my screen and we'll look at the same question that students will be answering when they're using the Thinking Nation curriculum. So Dr. Williams, if you were to answer this prompt that students are engaging with, how did the idea of citizenship change over time in ancient Rome? How would you approach it? Well, so you can't really think about this question without thinking about the growth of Rome. So whenever you have something that is a nation that starts out as this tiny village, I mean, imagine this tiny village on swampy river Tiber, and it grows to be this massive empire, the largest of its time. So of course, the question of citizenship is going to come into it. So how are things going to change um, from just as you conquer more and more territory. And that is exactly what the Romans had to deal with. Uh, the more things, the more people you bring into uh, Rome, the more you have to redefine, like, what do we do with it? Uh, what do we do with this? Who are these people? Are they all going to be just conquered subjects? Or do we give them citizenship? And over time, it seems like as the Romans conquered them, uh, initially, it seemed like it, it was more just, let's conquer everybody we can, and then start thinking about these questions. Uh, but they definitely had to start thinking about these questions pretty early on. So what I what I heard initially was, this idea of expansion, right? As the, the, um, as Rome expands, uh, so does, or so does at least the thinking about citizenship and, and who is a citizen. Um, yeah. If if that is maybe the focus of, of how you would approach it, this idea of expansion, um, do you think that there are other ways that historians might approach that question um, with maybe expansion not being at the center, but some other facet of Roman society? That's an interesting way to think about it because, um, of course, you kind of have to consider that angle as well. Since Rome, most most of the expansion happens in the period of the Roman Republic, right? So by the time we get into the empire, I mean, there's still some expansion. The empire reaches its highest extent under the rule of Trajan, so early 2nd century CE. But after that, it's really the question of, like, what do we do with all this territory? So... Um, so I think if you look at the period of the empire, it is more thinking um, in the terms that you proposed um, and that scholars who study the later um, second century on uh, period are thinking about it. Uh, how does the idea of citizenship change um, in this larger um, larger thing? And so, of course, that's where the Edict of Caracalla, for example, comes in, where uh, Caracalla, who is a pretty um, problematic emperor in a lot of ways, uh, presents this decree that completely changed everything. This idea that at the moment that the decree was made, every single free, freeborn male in, or well, not just freeborn, but free male in the empire at that moment is suddenly a citizen. Meaning you don't have to jump through hoops, serve in the military, or do whatever other things that people used to do to get citizenship. 
if they didn't have it originally. So that certainly revolutionizes things. And some scholars have argued that this is why the Roman Empire uh, later on, after the Edict of Caracalla, had such a hard time attracting soldiers. It used to be this special perk. You serve in the Roman Empire for a quarter century or so, depending where uh, which division you served in, um, and you get citizenship, and that's that. But if you don't have to risk your life for a quarter century in the service of Rome to get citizenship, that's kind of a game changer. That's a bargain that's hard to, to, to pass up. Um, you, you mentioned, you know, the, the problematic nature of Caracalla. Um, I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit more to that as, you know, in our uh, unit, students are, are mostly just looking at the edict. Um, and so, yeah. so what was some context around uh, Caracalla himself? So this is a this is one of those families where like you don't want to be like Caracalla's family. So we have <laughs> uh, so the story is um, he had a brother, and when his father, um, the Emperor Septimius Severus, died, he left the two brothers Caracalla and Geta as joint emperors. And let's just say Geta doesn't make it very long after that. <laughs> and in fact, we have art objects where we can see Caracalla erasing Geta's image. So there are official portraits wow. of the um, imperial family where you can see those erasures and also um, inscriptions where there's an erasure. You can see like, you know, it lists the full imperial family, except like there's a gap, you know, where somebody wow. erased something. And we know like, oh, yeah, that's uh, that was Geta listed as part of the family, except we don't talk about him anymore. And that's actually, mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds scandalous, but um, and it is scandalous, but it actually was a pretty common practice in um, okay. the Roman world, this erasure. Uh, you can literally erase somebody from the official record if you decided to, uh, somebody is subject to the, the Roman term damnatio memoriae, the condemnation of memory, then you erase them from public record. That's... Yeah, that's fascinating from a modern perspective. Uh, so we have Caracalla, who is, uh, and I'll, I'll kind of stay on him for a minute, uh, who is, seems, you know, very self-absorbed, interested in uh, kind of preserving his own, his own singular leadership. Um, also, greatly expanding citizenship for the Roman Empire. How do those two things work hand in hand? Well, uh, he liked being popular. A lot of emperors did. Um, it's kind of nice to have this public adoration. And so this edict uh, was certainly a way to win favor. Um, so kind of abusing power, but in a way that um, makes you look good. Now, at the same time, there's also, of course, the lack of foresight when we consider the repercussions of a decree like this one. Well, so for example, uh, just the administrative uh, implications. So imagine when you have an empire with a very structured bureaucracy and everybody knows what their place is in society. And suddenly, uh, just like this, you completely turned all the rules over saying everybody right. is a citizen who wasn't before. Um, so the administrative kind of uh, toll would have been extreme. And of course, we mentioned the Roman army. Um, so, so there are a lot of implications that he clearly did not consider. Yeah. Uh, so this, this next question is a little bit of a conjecture based on uh, a, 
a student who engaged with our curriculum uh, recently, and she she wondered if this uh, mass expansion of citizenship had a hand in the fall of the Roman Empire, in that uh, the the growth of the citizen population grew so fast that the the government itself did not know quite what to do with it. I'm, I'm wondering if you can speak to that. Uh, you know, if if that is a, a a possibility or um, if there were a lot of other factors at play? I think that's a fascinating question and it certainly makes sense, except there are so many other issues going on. So Caracalla passes his decree in 212. Uh, just a decade later, the empire will plunge into a civil war or a round of civil wars that will last until 284 when Diocletian will become emperor. So we're just uh, obviously, Caracalla had no idea. No one at the time yeah. had any idea, but the empire was about to plunge into its worst crisis in probably its entire existence, the third century crisis. Wow. That's what historians talk about, the third century crisis. The empire that will emerge out of the third century crisis will not look anything like the empire that entered the third century crisis. But what historians like to talk about is resilience. Can you get through a crisis? And what is remarkable is that we see that resilience. Um, yes, the third century was really a terrible time to live in the Roman Empire, would not recommend, but um, it manages to kind of emerge out of it. So with Diocletian in 284, what he figures out is this territory is so massive, one emperor can't rule it. So he divides it okay. into four districts. So you get the tetrarchy, the rule of the four, right. which works for a while. But the point is, um, kind of, it really is related, actually. So I think your student is onto something. The great territory is related to challenges and kind of that same issue I mentioned from the beginning. Mm -hmm. How do you adapt from uh, ruling just a tiny village on the Tiber to this massive empire? So that is certainly part of the story. But we see that resilience that the Romans don't necessarily think ahead each time that these changes <laughs> happen. But they True. eventually figure it out and solve whatever problem had arisen, like the third century crisis. And the empire keeps, you know, limping along. <laughs> limping along. Uh, when you're looking at uh, this topic of citizenship in ancient Rome, do you have a go-to primary source or something that you uh, feel really illuminates this topic? Yes. So for a lot of... Um, a lot of our evidence, of course, comes from kind of more official, formal documents like this edict. But what mm -hmm. I really like are inscriptions and especially funerary epitaphs. So tombstones in layman's terms. Uh, we have lots and lots and lots of tombstones of everyday regular people in the Roman Empire, uh, and actually the Roman Republic as well, but especially from the period of the empire. and. This gives us a glimpse into people about whom we know nothing at all otherwise. And what is so impressive yeah. is that they are proud of their citizenship status. So you do get tombstones of, say, like soldiers who served for however long and are now citizens, um, and so on and so forth. Just people working regular jobs in the Roman Empire sure. who are proud to be Roman. Yeah, that's such a cool glimpse into the common person, the common Roman that... Uh, I often can go unnoticed in the the official documentation. I appreciate you bringing that to light. 
so as you're thinking through this this question, this topic, um, and I, I would say that our unit does look at this idea of expansion, both in territory and also in um, class and, and or who is able to become a citizen. Um, is there a different line of thinking that students might be able to explore um, a, around citizenship in ancient Rome that isn't explicitly brought up in our unit? Well, one angle to remember both in the ancient Rome unit, but also in the ancient Greece unit is women and gender. Uh, the fact that women never become citizens in the ancient world, and that's just kind of assumed. So whenever Caracalla passes this incredible edict, like everybody gets citizenship, let's talk about the definition of everybody, uh, because sure. it only refers to men. So that's very much kind of the traditional way of thought in the ancient world. And early Christianity, for example, really will come to challenge that. Uh, the okay. notion of talking about women specifically as part of society, part of the household of God, and so on. Because in the Roman world, no one even thinks about it. This is just assumed. Sure. So if if a historian is exploring the, the role and the, the class of women in ancient Rome, what are some ways that they, they do make sure that women are included in this story? Well, a lot of the uh, fiction... Uh, from the Roman world, of course, will refer to them. Uh, so we have, um, uh, we have, for example, uh, a novel um, from the second, uh, late second century, uh, The Golden Ass or Metamorphosis. It's about a man who travels the Roman Empire, uh, accidentally gets turned into a donkey, and he interacts <laughs> with a lot of everyday kind of characters. It's, um, it's kind of a, it's kind of a sobering read because it's a lot of everyday kind of trials and tribulations where you realize, you know, um, the question that I like to pose to my students is, what do you, if you lived in one of the provinces, remote provinces of the Roman Empire, what did the empire ever do for you? And the answer is not a whole lot. And this is especially wow. true for women um, whose situation in the Roman world was precarious. Uh, and in this novel, they're portrayed as kind of uh, pretty much all of them are witches because, like, there's nothing else to do. So just a really terrible kind of uh, yeah. misogynistic perspective. Sure. Yeah, that's what an interesting way to get a glimpse into that time period. Uh, so our, our final question is more of just, you know, uh, for fun, uh, of interest. And that's just what what drew you to study this particular era of history? I took Latin in high school, and I just fell in love with it. Just the puzzle of reading, just the idea that here I am, like sitting in, well, at that point, it was still the 1990s, so still end of 20th century, but here I am sitting, reading in the original something that was written in the Roman Republic. And to me, that was just so exciting to have this like connection to Caesar and Virgil. It was just really um, a lot of fun. Yeah, that I I can think of my own interests really, you know, coming coming to bear in high school as I started to recognize these these light bulbs going off, and and it's it's obviously so great to see that, that this is what's really guiding uh, your, your professional career now uh, from from Latin in high school. 
Well, Dr. Nadia Williams, we appreciate you so much for giving us a better insight into ancient Rome and the role of citizenship. Um, we uh, appreciate your scholarship and your willingness to, to dialogue. Thank you. Thank you.